Hello and welcome to the Nurse and Midwife Support Your Health Matters podcast. Today I'm in Canberra on Ngunnawal country and I wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land I'm recording this podcast on, the Ngunnawal people. I wish to acknowledge and respect their continuing culture and the contribution they make to the life of the city and this region. I pay my respects to Elvis, past, present and emerging. And it's great today that we've got four guests from the New South Wales Nurse and Midwives Association Culturally and Linguistically Diverse Reference Group. And um, I'd like to welcome our guests today. We have Julie, Marilyn, Marty and Bakwa. So hello and welcome everybody to this important discussion. Thank you. So we might start with um, a question for all of you. What do culturally and linguistically diverse nurses and midwives bring to the nursing and midwifery professions? I think you might all have a comment on that. Who would like to start? Marty here. I think that Cal nurses and midwives we bring a lot of lived experience. We bring a lot of international education and value to the Australian uh, community at large. We bring a wealth of knowledge and diversity to the community at large as well. And we're also able to use our lived experience to integrate within the multicultural awareness of the Australian uh, breath as well. Thanks, Marty. Would anyone else like to add there? Yes, this is Julian Gwabi here. I just want to echo Matt's sentiments as well. I'm a mental health nurse of cult background and I love my profession. I love what I do. And knowing that Australia is multicultural with people from diverse cultures accessing one health system, I think for me, being a cult mental health nurse means that I'm able to bring who I am, my values, my beliefs, as I engage with all people to promote their mental health and well-being. So in some ways, for me, that human-to-human interaction and connection really in positive ways, despite our differences, speaks to our humanity. So I think as cult nurses, we do enrich the nursing and midwifery profession as it reflects a multicultural Australia. Thanks, Julie. I think they're excellent points and I couldn't agree more. Would anyone else like to add something there? Hi, Mark. My name is Bukwa. I totally agree with the other two respondents. I also would like to say that um, we as CALC members as well, we bring in, we bridge the workforce shortage that uh, the Australian healthcare system has had, an ongoing shortage of um, nursing staff. So we are there to bridge in that gap. Thanks, Bukwa. Hi, Marilyn. Yeah. Hi, it's Marilyn here. I just want to add uh, with regards to being as far as the multi-diverse, multicultural nation, having a car representative in each health facilities, I guess you do get a lot of patients that are with car backgrounds too. And if they see someone like looking after them, they feel at ease in a sense of belonging. And I guess... 
having to see someone within their same cultural background, they will be more compliant and more engaging and participating in their care, making it easier for everyone. Thanks, Marilyn. They're all really important points and I appreciate your insights and for sharing them. As part of preparing for this podcast, I read an excellent article in the ANMJ in the um, October to December 2021 issue, and I assume it's in the lab as well by Robert Fajale, and it's titled Let's Talk About Racism. And I would actually commend anybody who's listening to this podcast to read the important article. So, Julie, this is a question that I believe you're going to answer. Why is racism harmful? Uh, thanks, Mark. Thanks, everyone. I think racism is harmful. It's very harmful in so many ways, really. And I think it's a public health issue because it affects people's health, both mentally and physically as well. And we know that there are well-documented and empirical evidence, both in nationally and internationally. For example, in 2015, there was a systematic review which was collected by PubMed Central, and it confirmed that stress resulting from racism affects our physical and mental health. For example, physical conditions such as high blood pressure, it weakens our immune systems, which opens us to other conditions as well. It puts people at risk of heart disease and has also been uh, linked with the risky behavior such as smoking and alcohol and drug use as people try to cope or self-medicate in really unhelpful ways, including unhealthy eating habits. And we know that racism, you know, is linked with the poor mental health outcome as well and is actually twice as likely to affect mental health more than physical health. And without your mental health or mental well-being, it affects your functioning, including at work, which is really important for us as members of the nursing and midwifery profession. We want to be really present for our patients and deliver the best possible care. And it's associated with conditions such as depression and anxiety, high stress levels, emotional distress, PTSD, and unfortunately, suicidal thoughts. And we do know of people, unfortunately, who have taken their lives because of racism. So it's really harmful. And as I say, it does affect general functioning and contribution in the workplace and society more broadly. That exclusion, which results from racism, means that the much-needed skills, you know, my colleague Marty was talking about the international expertise and skills that we bring as well. It means those much-needed skills are missed, and it's a disservice to the community, really. And workers facing racism may not be as productive. And it puts the workers at risk of making mistakes which we cannot afford in our profession. And once you make a mistake, it actually worsens your outcome as a cult person. And more broadly as well, racism impacts in a negative way relationships. Uh, it's, it goes beyond 
the person actually experiencing the racism firsthand, but it affects the family as well, including the children who rely on parents for their well-being. And it affects the children's development, their learning, which has got significant negative uh, long-term outcomes like their employment prospects in the future as well. And that uh, it causes isolation as fear of experiencing racism itself causes people to confine to themselves where they feel much safer. And that way it affects uh, one's ability to experience and contribute to life and society fully. So racism really, it's got broad negative impacts both to the individual and to the society in general. Thanks, Jolene. That's um, a, a very uh, um, excellent explanation about the harm that racism causes. So I, I thank you very much for that information. Marty here. Can I add on to Julie's incredible breakdown of racism, how it affects nurses and midwives? Yes, please, Marty, go ahead. Okay, Marty, I mean, Julie has, uh, I mean, as Julie pointed out, racism affects uh, all of us in so many different ways. I mean, as pointed out to uh, the individual nurse, racism also affects the community and also affects the workplace in itself. Racism can increase uh, patient harm, patient safety, if the nurse and midwife don't feel safe and secure in their own practices, they may be targeted by management or um, other external factors which will impact their nursing care. Nurses and midwives also uh, face racism coming from patients and their carers, which also can impact a nurse's physical, mental, emotional, and psychological well-being Racism also affects nurses within a workplace, unfortunately, by peers themselves. When a nurse, specifically speaking of a cow nurse who experienced racism in the workplace, it makes that it makes the nurse feel unsafe. And I believe no nurse or midwife anywhere should feel unsafe just doing their job. Bring that important information. Um, it- experiencing racism as a result of your work. I'm really sorry that that's happening to you. It's not acceptable. And um, and please reach out for support sooner rather than later. And um, obviously it's really important that you share that experience. And if you're not sure how to go about accessing support, please know that you can access nurse and midwife support, the National Support Service for Nurses, Midwives and Students anytime you need support. The service is anonymous, confidential and free, and you can contact us on 1-800-667-877 or via our website, nmsupport.org.au. This podcast is part of a, a newsletter that is all about supporting culturally and linguistically diverse nurses and midwives. So there'll be some useful links in this podcast and the show notes and the transcript that you can use to access support. So please know that support is available and racism is not acceptable. What are the issues you have experienced as cold nurses uh, or midwives or both that have challenged you? And I think Bukwai, you are gonna answer that one. 
Thank you, Mark. Bukwe here. Um, it's, a, it's quite a broad question, and uh, I'll just try and summarize because we might take the whole time if I sort of start listing the issues that have challenged. So uh, that have that have challenged me as a card nurse. And these issues change depending on the length of time you've been in Australia. When you first come out to Australia, you sort of downplay most of these issues because you're concentrating on your visa status. You are not aware of the health services that you talk of. And also there's that fear of, you know, will I get my visa renewed? Um, I personally came here on a 457 visa. So um, I thought if I quit work, my stay in Australia would have ended. So most of the things I downplayed and I look back like almost 20 years on and I ask myself, how did I survive that? So I started off my um, career in Australia in HK. Uh, in a small country town. And I was the only, uh, only caldness in that area, maybe even the town. And I remember coming to work and people having a tough time accepting that an African nurse is going to be in charge of this nursing home. So what uh, my director of nursing then did was to appoint an assistant in nursing as the team leader. I remember coming to work and being a registered nurse, being allocated to do showers. That was very challenging because I know the role of a registered nurse. I know a role of an AI and being answerable to the RNs, but roles were reversed. I had, unfortunately, I didn't know about all these support services. I was deep in the country, in a small country town. And as the other speakers have said, these things affect you. I remember breaking down into cold sores, which is a stress reaction for me, asking my director of nursing if she, is it a mistake? And she, I was told you needed to learn. So this is just one of the things that I didn't take this further. And looking back at it, if I had all the services that are available now, and I don't think I was even a member of the nurses union at that point. And then fast forwarding later, now almost 20 years on, you think this would have changed but you come and realize that these issues sort of repeat themselves in different forms. What that experience made me do, I enrolled in a lot of postgraduate courses just to try and learn how the Australian healthcare system worked. And just to improve you know, my um, professional qualification, hoping to better myself. Here we are nowadays, you find workplace, you know, the opportunities, the career development opportunities at the work, they still bypass you. You find that um, maybe simple, like not really big um, career step up roles, like even being a simple team leader, members of the cult communities are put at the back banner. And I've questioned management on all these things, and you are told that you do not have leadership skills. And it is very challenging that you're an old nurse, you've got more than 20 years, I mean, more than 10 years of work experience, you've got all these postgraduate qualifications, and then you're told, no, we'll rather put a second, third year RN to be a CNS over you because you do not have leadership qualities. The worry is the documentation, the word adverts, are very correct. They're very inclusive when you read them. 
you've got your selection criteria, you have your, you know, your desirables, it looks all good. And it will, these um, adverts will talk of, um, you know, inclusiveness, everybody has a free and equal goal. But then you realize, where does it jump where you get, choose a third or second year student over nurses because they are called, you know, with all this experience and that's better. That is my biggest challenge today that I still feel there is inequality in um, appointments to step up clinical roles. And uh, my feeling is that um, as called nurses, we are more like to fill up at the work, workforce part, but not step up, stay as an iron on the floor and don't step up. And I think this is one of the reasons why the cult group was formed because we are not seeing that representation of the cult nurses at top level jobs. We are sort of um, generally acceptable to be left on the floor, you know, like, you know, on the bedside, but the step up roles being kept for um, non-cult members. Thanks for sharing that book, and I'm really sorry that that's been your experience, but clearly it is the experience of many cold nurses and midwives. So clearly we need to do better. I'm yes. sorry, Mark, can I, can I add on to uh, yes, my, please, my beautiful colleague book was uh, Testimony? Please do it. Go ahead. In, in myself and a lot, of, uh, a lot of my colleagues here and, uh, and above, a lot of the issues that we face that we experience the Cal uh, nursing midwives um, that affects us greatly, that challenges us on a day-to-day. I love what Bookwa just said as far as being passed over for positions or more leadership or more managerial. That's just one, that's just the tip of the iceberg. When we go down to a grassroots level, many of us are gaslighted if we report an issue. We're told that we're the problem and there, uh, that's the system is not the problem. A lot of times, uh, myself or other cow nurses, if you do report an issue, you'll find that your maybe your patient allocation may become even more difficult. You may find that, and I've experienced it, where uh, my day-to-day tasks become more uh, more highly scrutinized as opposed to my non-cow peers. I've, I've, I've experienced uh, ostracism where I can walk into a break room and no one speak to me at all. Again, unfair allocations. I've experienced where certain colleagues have had an easier workload than I've had that have had the same time in service as I. And um, ostracism, being gaslighted, being told that you're the problem. Also, uh, management coming down even harder to a point of actually emotionally breaking down the nurse. Mark, would I be able to add something else with that too? Yes, uh, please do. Um, it's Marilyn here. I've read something about uh, a publication that was issued by the Nursing and Midwifery Association that was in September 2019. They conducted a survey uh, and one, a voluntary survey, and there was a 1,234 survey completed from CAL members. I just want to say some of that, which actually reflects on what everyone had said regarding the experiences. 
So I'll mention a few. This is what some of the card members said regarding their experiences. Workers with strong foreign accents seem to be taken less, less seriously than others. Another member said, I have experienced people saying they do not understand my accent before I even start speaking. Another one is giving us more workloads because they know that we won't complain about it. Then one says, when it comes to career advancement, I become invisible. I do have the education. I have the same experience. So I think I have the wrong color. It's Julie here. I just want to echo what my colleagues are saying. I think there's a lot of lip service, which is which organization pay when it comes to issues of inclusion, equality. Yes, the policies are there, the vision statements, the mission statements, they say all the right things. But as cult nurses will tell you that our experiences are so far removed from those written policies and expressions of inclusivity and the like. And to Marilyn's point, the reality is that uh, for some of us as called nurses, some people, some organizations, they really cannot see past our race or color and they cannot hear past our accents. So it doesn't matter what we, what we do, it doesn't matter our skills, our experience, as long as we are not the acceptable color, as long as we are not the right cultural fit, really. It always, as Butler was saying, that it's okay when we're in the floor, it's okay on some other positions, but when it comes to those stepped up higher positions, that's when it becomes a big issue. That's when the reality sets in that, no, despite the policies, the mission statements and everything, everything, you know, which appears right on paper, the reality and our experience is quite different, which is very unfortunate. Thanks for sharing, Julie. I agree, very unfortunate, and it needs to change. So what should workplaces or what could they do to not pay lip service to this, but to really engage in real change and action that is going to stop discrimination and is going to give people opportunities to really advance their careers? First and foremost, start with management from the top. Having Cal nurses and midwives on the committees at management level to assist with writing the policies that affect us. Having non-CAL members write policies and procedures directly at CAL members does not help a CAL member. Having CAL representation from the top is where it starts. That's a great point, Marty, and I couldn't agree more. Anybody else like to add anything there? I'd like to add on um, like workplace appointments. I think people should stop appointing people. Uh, people shouldn't be, you know, word of mouth and now more the word educator can pick a person and say, look, you've got leadership skills. We just go back to watch the hospital and stick to the policy. If it says to be a CNS in a ward, you need five years, four years postgraduate experience, let's stick to the four years. If it says you need a grad set, let that grad certificate be uh, produced. 
let adverts be placed on the um, hospital intranet accessible to everybody. Because what happens at work, you go on days off, you come back, somebody has been appointed to this job and it hasn't been advertised. The paperwork is there, as everybody has said and agreed to. It's there. Just follow the rules. If you want to grab it for a CN, that's it. If people have to produce portfolios, so be it. Let's level the playing field. Let's make it fair for everybody. The paperwork looks good. We just need to follow. As Marty had said, that all starts with management. You know, you need the management to say this is what it is. I was fortunate to work in one of the hospitals where new management came up and there had been a lot of all these jobs where people had been appointed to. Those jobs were re-advertised and the people who had been doing them were given the opportunity to reapply. And of course, I got them back. But that was one of the most fairest thing I had I saw because everything was advertised. It was there on the hospital internet for six weeks. Every everybody had a go and, and then matched up with the skills. Do you meet the selection criteria? No, you don't. Okay, but you go back on the floor. If you don't meet the selection criteria, what do you do? You work with your educator. Where are my weaknesses? That's what people do. You cannot tell me people can work 10 to 12 years in a place and not advance. That's just not right. Marty, again, second point, going from the other direction, what do workplaces need to do in, to improve support for Cal and support midwives? Involve Cal nurses and midwives. Have us at the table when we're when you're writing policies and procedures. Have us at the table when we're having discussions as far as fairness. Have us at the table and actually listen to our experiences, listen to our input. That from the bottom up, what a workplace can do is actually listen to us and give our voice actual words not just lip service. Yeah, um, as we all know, education is an integral part in nursing practice. I think it is important that healthcare facilities should integrate not just entire race but also cultural awareness and diversity programs as part of orientation or induction for new staff. And then, Cultural awareness and diversity courses should be made compulsory for all staff as part of the yearly professional development program. And I think it's a good idea too that each health facility should have a card representative, not only as a reference person, but also as a point of contact. If card nurses or midwives need support related to their profession, um, in the publications that I've mentioned before, it's called the Cultural Safety Gap Experiences of New South Wales Culturally and Linguistically Diverse Nurses and Midwives. It actually mentioned there that a development of a diversity inclusion champion as an operational leadership role in each healthcare organisation is essential. And I think this is really crucial in building that trust between child nurses and midwives and their management, because I think having that leadership role would reinforce that child nurses and midwives are given a fair go and treated equally regardless of their color, race, culture, religion, or language. Thanks for sharing that, Marilyn, and thanks everybody for your insights and um, 
and that really important information. I just want to add a few things as well to what everyone is saying. When talking about support for cult nurses and midwives, including a support for racism, I think it's also important to acknowledge the reality of our experiences. As Mati was saying, it's really important to bring us to the table and to hear our lived experience. If you want to know what exclusion looks like, if you want to know what racism looks like and feels like, you have to ask people who are actually experiencing it. And it's also important to create spaces of safety. There's so much fear around raising these issues in the workplace, despite policies and awareness campaigns, you know, urging us on to speak up, but you cannot speak up when there is when it's not safe to do so. Otherwise, you'll find yourself in a worse off position than before. And for those in positions of power to, to listen and to actively act out on our experiences and to be willing to disrupt the status quo. Otherwise, nothing will change. We'll keep having the right policies, right mission statements, but our experiences won't be budging or changing. And if reports are made, the purpose of the investigation should be to find out, to gather information of what actually happened so that you can effectively deal with it. It shouldn't be an opportunity to explore ways of denying the existence, discrediting the person because you are more worried about your public image because this actually worsens the negative experience that the person is already going through and it further contributes to more trauma. And it means that we are just kicking the can further down the road, nothing gets to change. Thanks, Julie. And thank you, everybody, for those really important insights. And um, it's um, very powerful to hear it from you all. And I thank you very much. How can we support nurses and midwives who experience racism? Like I, I heard very clearly that um, we need to involve cold nurses and midwives much earlier on when we're building services and developing services and and um, setting up support services. So how would you see that we best support people experiencing racism? I think in, well, I've working to help facilities, one is a private sector and one is a public sector. They have support programs, but it's actually set up as a general staff. So I think if they have most support programs specifically designed for health nurses and midwives. I think that it would help a great deal for all the health nurses and midwives that work in the healthcare facility stop. Thanks, Marilyn. Now you're all part of the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives culturally and linguistically diverse reference group. And I know that you've um, assisted with the development of the incredible resources that are available on the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association website. And we'll certainly put the link to those resources in this podcast as part of the show notes. But could you talk about what it's been like for you being part of this reference group? Like, what does it mean to you? 
Hi, Bukwe here. I'll speak on that, Mark. I really appreciate being part of this reference group because this group gives me a safe space to be who I am. It's a group where I'm not put in a box. You're an individual. You're not seen as a part of a group of people, but you're an individual. It's a place where, you know, we can acknowledge what happens to us without being judged, without having any repercussions where you've that I've mentioned this and you've got people who identify with you, people who've had, who've lived the same experience with you. So I really appreciate this. And the fact that, you know, we have so much support and you can feel that this group is really trying to, to change. So it's not like we are only a group to come and talk of our grievances. We are trying to find solutions. We are trying to find a way forward. Um, so I really appreciate it. Like it's, it's just a great space to be at. It's so refreshing where you can speak with a group of people who are living what you're experiencing. Thanks for sharing that book. Well, that's uh, really and I, wanna, I would like to add on to uh, my esteemed colleague book was saying, being a part of the New South Wales Nurse Midwives Association Cal Reference Group, to me, on a moral, ethical, and professional level, it means everything to me. This space has given me safety in voice, safety in numbers, and it also enables me to not only use just my own, but my esteemed colleagues on this call and beyond to be able to use our individualized racial traumas to give it a voice, to actually affect change, to make change. And as I come up with a saying, as I told Helen earlier, I love it. The mere fact that we're all here today using our voices so that our future Cal members don't have to use theirs. This is what Cal brings to me. Thanks, Bobby. Very powerful and um, and so important to get that message out there. Well, we've come to the end of this podcast conversation. It's been very powerful and important, and I'm so grateful for your input today, Bukwa, Julie, Marty, and Marilyn. And thank you very much. But do you have any last or final words of wisdom that you would like to share with our listeners? <laughs> again, Marty here. I'll say uh, once again, powerfully, and thank you to my lovely colleagues of today. Let's use our voices so that our future don't have to use theirs. It's Marilyn here. I just want to add something. I know it could only get better and stronger year after year. The stronger we are, we're helping to make a difference in closing the car, the gap, the car nurses and midwives in the workplace stuff. Uh, this is Julie here. Similar to what my colleagues are saying, Belonging to something like the cult reference group, I think it's something that we should be aiming to have nationwide because, as someone said, that's where we find safety. That's where we feel like we belong. Our voices can be heard and amplified. And that peer-to-peer -peer support is really important, even to our mental health and well-being, because there's a lot of gaslighting there where you are left in a situation of 
questioning yourself, did I really experience that? Did I really see that? Maybe I didn't. So this is a place where you know that gaslighting is dealt with when you realize that, you know, it actually did happen and it's not right. It has to stop. And it's important because we feel empowered. To Matt's point, it's really important that we use our voices to speak truth to power so that the future generations don't have to deal with what we are currently dealing with. Thanks, John. And um, uh, my closing words, I'd just like to quote um, the Lieutenant General David Morrison, um, his famous words where he said, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. And I'd like to say to my fellow colleagues in this group, let's not accept the standards we're seeing. Let's do something about it. We are doing something about them. Thank you. Thank you very much. And what a, a great place to end this conversation today. But it certainly won't be the end of this really important conversation into the future. And um, Nurse and Midwife Support is committed to raising the voices of cold nurses and midwives and supporting you in any way we can. So if this podcast has raised any issues for you, please know that Nurse and Midwife Support is available 24-7, no matter where you are in Australia, 1-800-667-877 or via the website nmsupport.org.au. Please look after yourselves, everybody. Your health matters. I'll speak to you next time.